Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. It's time for our weekly call-in about COVID-19 and everything that you need to know about the virus, the variants, and the vaccines. Illinois began vaccinating back in December, a little over two months ago. And since then, nearly two million people have received at least one shot. But this is just the beginning. Millions more in this state, like me, and maybe you too, we're still waiting our turn. So when might that be? And what can we expect the pandemic to look and feel like as winter turns to spring and then spring turns to summer? So here to answer those questions and any others that you may have about the COVID-19 pandemic is Dr. Mia Teramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Welcome back. Hi, Sasha Ann. Dr. Teramina, this weather has not been kind this past week, and I know it's disrupted the ability for some people to access vaccines, too. What's your experience been like with the weather? It has absolutely impacted our supplies uh, this week. And, you know, the last couple of weeks have been really sort of disheartening in the numbers of vaccines, especially the numbers of first doses that we've been able to receive. Um, Moderna, I know, uh, generally ships to this area from Tennessee. It just plain did not arrive, um, you know, for days. So I think we're still looking to get in and recoup some of those supplies uh, as we approach the weekend here and into Monday. But we're not talking a few less doses. We're we're talking tens of thousands less doses arriving into the state than we had hoped. So lots of appointment cancellations, rescheduling, lots of disappointed uh, patients. It's, it's been very frustrating, to say the least. The head of Chicago's Department of Health, Dr. Allison Arwoody, uh, she announced that Chicago's COVID-19 positivity rate is now 3.5 percent. It's actually the lowest that it's been since the start of the pandemic. What's your reaction to that number? It's great news. It certainly is. And it's not just vaccination that's getting us there. It's it's sort of the, the redoubling down on the safety precautions moving forward. Now that we saw what happened through the fall spike, I think uh, folks uh, really realize that it's just plain too soon for us to be letting down our guard. And if we can continue to press onward with vaccines and to uh, go ahead and redouble our efforts and masking and social distancing, we have a, a fighting chance of staying down here at this low circulating uh, virus amount and positive cases. So then getting back to the weather, doctor, it's it's made the quarantine life here in Chicago very, very hard. Illinois surpassed 20,000 COVID deaths this week, and we just heard about how Chicago's doing in the fight against the virus. Tell us a bit more about how the state is doing as a whole and, you know, the collar counties. You know, the, the trends are coming down for sure in terms of case counts. And, and you know, we are keeping a tally of both uh, confirmed cases and, you know, probable and suspected cases based on symptoms and high-risk exposures or potential antigen positivity. And, you know, hospitalizations are being recorded. Folks that are on ventilators, uh, that's being tallied as well. And then the unfortunate deaths that we are still seeing. And statistically, we are still seeing them in our in our most vulnerable folks, our elderly individuals, potentially in nursing home settings or extended care facilities. And while we have so much outreach and effort in getting those individuals vaccinated, there's there's just not enough vaccine to go around just yet. Well, recap for us uh, the phases, right? Uh, which phase are we in now? Uh, phase 1B? So- 
Phase 1B for vaccines, so that's going to be uh, folks that have significant medical issues over the age of 65, uh, and um, it's going to be some of our frontline workers, our teachers, police, fire, post office workers, etc. Many facilities, private uh, especially around the state, are really focusing on the sickest and most vulnerable. There just isn't enough vaccine to get to even our healthier folks that qualify as part of Tier 1B because of their frontline professions. There's also been some talk about expanding to sort of a tier 1B phase 2 to allow for individuals under the age of 65 uh, to receive vaccine if they have some significant chronic health issues. The unfortunate reality is there just isn't enough vaccine. So even though there may be some opening of the aperture to allow for vaccine in those individuals uh, in some of the collar counties, Cook, Lake, uh, DuPage, we just don't have enough vaccine at present. So it's going to be incredibly difficult for an increased number of of eligible individuals to find vaccine. And when can we expect the next phase 1C to, to start? Are we still that's, on That's on the million-dollar question. Okay. I, I think we are on track. I, I think that um, we're going to be in a much better place in a month. I think that vaccine supply should, in all probability, really ramp up in the weeks to come. And by mid-March, I'm very optimistic we're going to be in a much better place than we are now. I could see the potential for 1C at soonest, end of March, early April. But all of these, these things are a moving target, depending on weather, depending on supplies, depending on science and data and a lot of things that are still coming through. Well, let's jump to the phones. Patricia's waiting from East Lakeview. Hi, Patricia. What's your question for the doctor? Uh, hi there. Thanks for doing this. Um, I, I don't know if it's relevant that I'm, you know, I'm 76 and I have a condition, whatever, but I just, my basic question is suppose, and this is hypothetical, someone has COVID, they're asymptomatic. They don't even know they have it. And then they get the vaccine. On top of that, it, it, what kind is that bad? What kind of effect would that have? That's actually a really great question. I, I have been asked that question before. In all probability, when you are asymptomatic and getting vaccinated, which probably literally happens every single day, we're vaccinating individuals, um, it, it should not change the trajectory of your uh, vaccine schedule. If you are to develop symptoms after that first dose of vaccine, meaning that you might have been pre-symptomatic uh, at the time of vaccination, you should still be able to get your second vaccine on schedule. There is is a possibility of having some uh, heightened side effects from the vaccine because you're inducing uh, an immune response on top of having uh, active virus in your system. But it does not appear to be something that is, is critically dangerous. Uh, again, it probably happens uh, every day of the, of the week here as we're vaccinating more and more individuals. But the good news is if you do happen to have that positive test after your first dose of vaccine, you should be able to still get the second dose on schedule, provided that you have cleared a 10 to 14 day period of uh, convalescing the virus itself. And if you test positive very close to when your second dose is due, you can actually delay that second dose for a couple of weeks and still be just fine in, in receiving only a second dose of vaccine. Thanks, Patricia. Let's hear now from Amy in Evanston. Hi, Amy, what's your question? Um, you've answered part of it, I think, but and I'm not trying to jump the line. I'm I'm under 65, um, and I've had a significant uh, medical history, and I also have comorbidities, diabetes, um, three-time cancer survivor, allergic to chemo drugs and whatnot, and I've got all kinds of other major allergies. And what I would like to know is I, I really would like to have the Pfizer vaccine as opposed to Moderna or any of the others. And I don't know how or who to communicate that to 
so that I might be eligible for that shot? That's an excellent question as well. Um, again, there is going to be some... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, I think in January, um, I had COVID. I had a really nasty case of COVID. It wasn't diagnosed as such. It was diagnosed as something else. But in, I just think I've had it also, sure. if that makes a difference. Sure. Um, you you certainly may reach out to um, your primary care physician about getting your antibodies checked, and potentially, uh, if you have positive antibodies, it might give you a little more flexibility of an immunity window here prior to receiving the vaccine. At present, uh, we're dependent upon supplies of vaccines sent to us, so we don't always know if it's going to be Pfizer or Moderna, and the very same site that was offering one type of vaccine one week may get the other type of vaccine the next week. For a majority of people, people, they may show up on the day of their first shot and, and not know exactly which vaccine is being administered. So that could involve a little legwork on your part to see uh, if there is a preference. I will tell you that between Pfizer and Moderna, efficacy uh, side effects are very similar. So both should have the um, uh, generate a robust immune response. The 25th of this month is being targeted as a potential day of expanding to folks under age 65 with certain health issues. But again, some of the most populous counties are likely not going to be able to facilitate that. If you're willing to get in the car and take a ride, uh, going down to Springfield and, and going to the state uh, ground sites and, and getting vaccine in those locations may be an option for you sooner. Otherwise, I anticipate in a few weeks, probably by mid-March, you should be able to find the exact vaccine you're looking for at many available sites, and that's what we can hope for moving forward. Let's hear now from Rebecca in Roscoe Village. Hi, Rebecca. What's your question for the doctor? Oh, hi, doctor. Um, I'm a sort of an official health care provider for my family. My brother uh, has a serious condition and also diabetes, and my mother uh, also is very old and has a serious heart um, condition, and she tries to look after him. And I was also looking after them, and... I'm wondering, how can I get on a list to perhaps, you know, of course, I don't want to jump the queue. And I know there are millions of people who need the shot before I do, but I haven't seen them since April. I haven't been able to take care of them since April. And they're just wearing out. And I just, you know, how can I get on a list perhaps that where I can get the shot so I can help provide health care for them? And, and as they are, you know, we don't want them to be a burden to other people. Uh, fair enough. Uh, certainly, um, a couple of weeks ago now, the Illinois Department of Health and Human Services has suggested that uh, individuals that act as primary caregivers for very vulnerable family members, including vulnerable uh, children and adults, uh, do qualify and should qualify essentially under an expanded 1A category. So for the most part, when you're able to self-certify on uh, county lists and maybe your own provider list as well, if you have a hospital-based provider or a private group provider like DuPage Medical Group, there is an opportunity to self-certify as a caregiver. Again, vaccine may not uh, be immediately available to you, um, but if it is available to you, you should be able to get it relatively soon. Uh, you can also ask your provider for a letter documenting the nature of your need to be in a primary caregiver role or download that letter from the Illinois Department of Health and Human Services to use as documentation for your criteria for receiving the vaccine a bit sooner. Doctor, the Biden administration announced they secured an additional 200 million vaccines. With the additional vaccines purchased by the president, does that help our situation at all? 
It absolutely does. We are in a bit of a fight against time here to get as many vaccine doses administered as fast as possible as these variants continue to circulate and eventually uh, statistically become dominant strains in our community. So we need some vaccine into as many people as possible in order to really get over the hump here and have a chance to dampen the effect of the variant spread. So I'm very optimistic, you know, depending on the purchase of these vaccines, that doesn't necessarily mean the vaccines exist at this moment. They're going to be in production. They're going to be in distribution. But if we can get these vaccines distributed, uh, the infrastructure's in place. I'm very confident at the number of facilities and number of sites and capacity to vaccinate individuals. We just need product, and we're going to be able to get this done. I want to transition real quick, doctor, to talking about the COVID variants. Uh, The more contagious UK variant was identified in DuPage. Do you think this is somewhat isolated or, or is it possibly the start of a major spread? What do we know? Uh, it, it is absolutely not likely to be isolated. Uh, COVID variants, by my view, are like ants in your house. There's never just one ant. There's always more. So it, the fact that there's presence of a variant in the community means that there are more, whether or not they're being detected. We are not genetically sequencing every single positive case in the U.S. Some countries are doing a much better job of that. And because of that fact, we will now start expanding genetic sequencing in these areas where new variants are coming up. South Carolina has more than a dozen of the South African variant right now, so a lot of work is being done there. These variants are showing a doubling time that is pretty quick, meaning that going from 5% prevalence to a commun- in the community to 10% to 20% is happening in, in several weeks' time here. So it's certainly anticipated that the variants will become the dominant strains into March and April. Um, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines do very well against the UK variant. Um, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines uh, don't do quite as well against the variants coming from South Africa and Brazil. Uh, there could be a 50 to 60 percent decrease in the number of antibodies toward those variants. That being said, we don't know. That might be enough to give some protection in it. All signs are pointing towards a very good possibility that if you are fully vaccinated and exposed to a very resistant strain of virus, you should still have protection to prevent a severe hospitalization, which is outstanding. So don't wait for vaccines to get better. Uh, we, they're you know, working on boosters as time goes on here. Get whatever vaccine is available to you now, when you can, when it's your turn, and we will work on boostering if needed in the months to come. This is really important. Chicago lifted restrictions on indoor dining. Uh, Restaurants can now allow up to 40 percent capacity or 50 people, whichever is fewer. So in your opinion, is it safe for us to be at this stage? I think as we have more people getting at least one dose and preferably two doses of vaccine, uh, we are going to see some individuals that are uh, feeling more comfortable going into indoor spaces. I do not recommend indoor dining for those that are continuing to wait for vaccine that are in the most medically uh, vulnerable groups and in the most fragile groups. Bearing in mind these variants are, are more contagious because they can bind stronger and they can take hold potentially with a smaller viral exposure meaning that uh, someone doesn't need to cough for nearly as much virus in order to infect a person within uh, a a close physical distance. So I think cautiously um, for young, healthier individuals, potentially vaccinated individuals, um, you know, having some indoor uh, interaction is probably going to be safe, but there's 
the caveat that if we start having a stronghold of these variants in the community, uh, it is going to be something that we may need to backpedal once again. Uh, for all listeners, I encourage you to continue to uh, order out curbside pickup, support these local restaurants and bars uh, that, that really need our support over time. It does not have to be in person. Stay safe out there. Well, let's jump back to the phones. We've got Voitok on the line in Lombard. Hi, Voitok. What's your question? Yes. Hi. Um, last week, my wife has received the first dose of the uh, Moderna uh, vaccine. And afterwards, for about five minutes, she felt dizzy, which uh, is a sign of uh, of uh, allergic reaction. And uh, we're debating whether or not we should take the second dose, um, as the second dose seems to be a lot stronger than the first one. That's a great question. So definitely speak with um, her providers about uh, any potential side effects. When you have those very immediate side effects, the typical immediate ones that are consistent with an anaphylactic reaction that requires medical intervention would be that signs of throat closure, itching in the throat, uh, frequent swallowing, dizziness, feeling faint, uh, feeling nauseated can be part of what's called a vasovagal response, where basically your body just has sort of a release of adrenaline right after a shot. And that's not necessarily an allergic response. Uh, We certainly have many allergists and immunologists that are able to kind of hash that out and discuss uh, appropriate steps in receiving that second dose safely. So my feeling is that if at all possible, she should definitely receive the second dose after consultation with her doctors. Can they pre-treat it with Benadryl? That's a good question. Um, we're looking into the two possibilities of pretreatment and or giving doses in sort of a staggered or phased approach, not the entire shot all at once, but maybe a portion of the shot and then 20 minutes later, another portion of the shot. Uh, this is something that's being worked on right now with allergy and immunology. Um, but uh, again, the, it is a common happening when patients become a bit dizzy after a vaccine, and it's usually not a severe adverse reaction and should not preclude you from getting that second dose. Let's jump now to Markeef in Austin. Hi, Markeef. What's your question for the doctor? Hi. I was wondering whether or not there's any adverse effects of the COVID vaccine and the flu vaccine for any individual who hasn't received either. Um, I'm just not sure if there'd be an issue if you were to get both vaccines in too close of a proximity. Present guidance is to not get any vaccines uh, within two weeks on either end of your COVID vaccine doses. At this point, if you don't have COVID vaccine immediately available to you, uh, we have had a very mild flu season because of so much mask wearing and social distancing, among other things. But we do see some trends picking up, especially in the Southern Hemisphere. In summary, go ahead and get your flu vaccine right away because that's likely to be available to you right now. And when you are able to get COVID, COVID vaccine, you can wait two weeks and get your COVID vaccine at that point. Uh, You also should not really be getting flu vaccine at the same time or in between doses of COVID vaccine. Uh, So uh, the the two-week delay is currently recommended more so so we can tease out which vaccines are causing potential side effects for you. Doctor, let's talk about schools for for a moment. The CDC updated its its guidelines on reopening schools. Uh, What is the latest data on infection rates and and spread among K-12 students? 
This is a challenging topic um, because of the fact that we do have data to support um, that children are not major drivers of infection and that schools in general with social distancing, mask wearing, and mitigation strategies in place are not major super spreader events. Uh, we need to prioritize getting our kids back in school safely. We need to prioritize vaccinating our teachers. The guidelines set up by the CDC at present, which again, I, I, I definitely do reference and I want to uh, give credit to uh, are a bit conservative in my opinion in that as they are presently stating uh, we it would it would essentially move kids that are already in time uh, in person full time backwards and the reality is, is we have countless examples of, of schools being operated safely at present and they don't need to reverse course. Um, so we will see how the variants come into play. Uh, we will see how vaccines come into play as we move uh, into the future here. We're getting some exciting updates that we may potentially be able to extend vaccines down to 12 to 16 year olds uh, in the months to come here, potentially well before restarting our school year in the fall. Uh, this school year in many ways has been dramatically disrupted for the majority of kids in the U.S. The hope and focus, by my view, needs to be on getting these children back in school full-time in person this fall and doing whatever we need to do to facilitate that conversation and that plan. Well, uh, many of the teachers, of course, doctor, want full vaccination before returning to the classrooms. Is that realistic? And, and if not, what is a proper balance? So <laughs> it's not realistic, unfortunately, because Every vaccine that is given to a um, potentially younger, healthier teacher uh, is one less given to uh, someone who's elderly and very medically fragile at this point. I am in full support of, of teachers being vaccinated as soon as possible. I want there to be enough vaccine for everyone everywhere. Uh, but the unfortunate reality is, is to stop giving vaccine to medically fragile in order to refocus vaccine on teachers only is potentially not uh, the best approach at this time. Now, encouraging uh, data shows that we do not need teachers to be fully vaccinated for the most part. If you're otherwise healthy, certainly there are teachers with many comorbidities in order to get back into the classrooms. That being said, there is a significant amount of data showing that after a single dose of vaccine, antibody is generated pretty robustly. Um, we still want to get that second dose until guidelines change, but we just had papers come out of Israel in the last day or so showing that for the Pfizer vaccine, we've got at 85% efficacy after a single dose. So uh, to the extent that we can get a single dose in teachers, I think that we're going to be in a great place. Yes, we want to get both doses in, but that should not be a requirement to reopen schools by my view. Let's hear now from Michael in Lincoln Park. Michael's got two children and he's got some questions about them. Uh, hi, Michael. Hello. We have two kids, uh, both 17 years old, <clears throat> who have very significant disabilities. Hugh has Duchenne muscular dystrophy, and he obviously has uh, compromised respiratory and cardiac functioning. Liana has uh, spina bifida and heterotaxy. The heterotaxy in particular has caused uh, multiple, her to have multiple spleens, and uh, therefore she doesn't fight off infection well. My wife and I have both been vaccinated uh, because I'm old. Um, but the kids have no prospect of being vaccinated, even though they're in the eligible group. So, uh, and their primary care person is at um, Adventist, and she's been trying to help. But 
um, I, I don't know what to do because we received uh, emails from our primary cares hospital rush to sign up, and we did. But the kids are getting no opportunity to do that. Thanks oh, for calling, boy, I, Michael. I, yeah, Michael, I really feel for you and, and getting vaccine into your, your medically fragile family members here. And, and those are the exact folks that, you know, are being bumped up in line because of the fact that uh, getting COVID with those underlying comorbidities could be tragic. This being said, um, again, there is going to be some extension of Category 1B into uh, the age group below age uh, 64 starting on February 25th. It likely is not going to be in Chicago, Cook, DuPage, and some of the more populous counties. So you might need to do a little digging. You might need to do a little driving. Uh, there is some rumors uh, about going into uh, Wisconsin or Indiana as well. Some of the commercial pharmacies there do not have residency requirements because the other issue is you're going to be having to hunt for the Pfizer vaccine. That is the only one that's been approved for under age 18. So uh, to the extent that you're willing to get in your car and drive, I think there could potentially be some options out of state or downstate in Springfield uh, at the state fairgrounds where you can self-certify uh, online that your risk group is uh, 16 to 64 with medical comorbidities. So otherwise, I think it's going to be a few more weeks before we are able to roll down into that expanded uh, tier 1B and or tier 1C. Uh, let's hear now from Paula in Wilmette. She is fully vaccinated and has a few more questions. Hi, Paula. Hi, Dr. Mia. Uh, thank you. I um, was wondering, when can I donate blood? I got my second vaccine last Friday. You can donate blood. Um, at this point, um, there's there's no restrictions in being able to donate blood uh, if you've been fully vaccinated or even if you're in between uh, uh, doses of vaccine. Um, there is a little bit of uh, pause on individuals that might want to donate blood, uh, blood plasma uh, for convalescent plasma use if you've been vaccinated. So we are actually, I believe, not able to do that, but you can donate whole blood product at any time. Doctor, I want to talk a little bit about masks. Uh, we're more than a year into this pandemic. We're wearing masks out in public. We're social distancing. It's now it's all second nature, right? Um, but I'm still seeing, I don't know about you, I'm still seeing people not wearing their masks correctly. So again, the right way to wear your masks. And the right way to wear the mask. It is It is comical that we're still having this conversation, but I completely it's agree It's routine every week. I'm going to ask you the I same know. thing. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it, it, it needs to be. I mean, as a refresher, and we have had some updated guidance from the CDC, again, talking about appropriate mask fit and addressing the double masking concept. So you need to have a properly fitting mask. It needs to cover your nose and go below your chin and should not have large gaps on either side of your face. If you have a narrower face or a smaller face, you can tie knots in the ear loops in order to create a tighter fit or even crisscross them before you put them around your ear, again, to create a tighter, snugger fit. If you're using a disposable surgical type mask, a one that has a wire in the top to fit over the bridge of your nose uh, also can increase some of that protectivity. We've had some ongoing discussions about double masking. It's not an official recommendation, but we do have data that shows, yes, indeed, two masks is better than one. Um, and the recommendation is to wear a cloth mask over a surgical type mask. Um, you should not be wearing two cloth masks. You should not be wearing a double surgical mask that can actually 
uh, create more gapping effect. Um, and if you're wearing an N95, an N95 or KN95 should be sufficient. You should not need a second mask over that unless you may be in a situation where you're concerned your N95 may become grossly soiled and then a paper mask can be placed over that to kind of protect the N95 from getting exposed to uh, droplets or something along those lines. For the most part, one properly fitting mask is still the goal across the board. One properly fitting mask. That's Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Stay up to date on coronavirus impacts in our region. News roundups every Friday with the city's best reporters. The latest from Chicago every weekday on our podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.